Chapter twenty seven of Survivors of the Chancellor by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. The Whale Boat Missing. December sixth. I must have fallen asleep for a few hours, when, at four o'clock in the morning, I was rudely aroused by the roaring of the wind, and could distinguish Curtis's voice as he shouted in the brief intervals between the heavy gusts. I got up, and holding tightly to the purlin, for the waves made the masts tremble with their violence, I tried to look around and below me. The sea was literally raging beneath. The great masses of livid-looking foam were dashing between the masts, which were oscillating terrifically. It was still dark, and I could only faintly distinguish two figures in the stern, whom, by the sound of their voices that I caught occasionally above the tumult, I made out to be Curtis and the boatswain. Just at that moment a sailor, who had mounted the main top to do something to the rigging, passed close behind me. "'What's the matter?' I asked. "'The wind has changed,' he answered, adding something which I could not hear distinctly, but which sounded like, "'Dead against us.' "'Dead against us?' Then, thought I, the wind had shifted to the southwest, and my last night's foreboding had been correct. When daylight at length appeared, I found the wind, although not blowing actually from the southwest, had veered round to the northwest a change which was equally disastrous to us, inasmuch as it was carrying us away from land. Moreover, the ship had sunk considerably during the night, and they were now five feet of water above the deck. The side netting had completely disappeared, and the forecastle and the poop were now all but on a level with the sea, which washed over them incessantly. With all possible expedition, Curtis and his crew were laboring away at their raft, but the violence of the swell materially impeded their operations, and it became a matter of doubt as to whether the woodwork would not fall asunder before it would be properly fastened together. As I watched the men at their work, Monsieur Turner, with one arm supporting his son, came out and stood by my side. "'Don't you think this main top will soon give way?' he said, as the narrow platform on which we stood creaked and groaned with the swaying of the masts. Miss Herbey heard his words and pointed towards Mrs. Keir, who was lying prostrate at her feet, asked what we thought ought to be done. We can do nothing but stay where we are, I replied. No, said Andre, this is our best refuge. I hope you are not afraid. Not for myself, said the young girl quietly, only for those to whom life is precious. At a quarter of eight we heard the boatsman calling to the sailors in the bows. Aye, aye, sir, said one of the men. Already, I think. Where's the whaleboat? shouted the boatswain in a loud voice. I don't know, sir, not with us, was the reply. She's gone adrift, then. And sure enough, the whaleboat was no longer hanging from the bowsprit, and in a moment the discovery was made that Mr. Keir, Silas Huntley, and three sailors, a Scotchman and two Englishmen, were missing. Afraid that the Chancellor would founder before the completion of the raft, Keir and Huntley had plotted together to effect their escape, and bribed the three sailors to seize the only remaining boat. This, then, was the black speck that I had seen during the night, the miserable husband had deserted his wife. The faithless captain had abandoned the ship that had once been under his command. "'There are five saved, then,' said the boatswain. "'Faith, and it's five lost ye be maining,' said O'Reilly, and the state of the sea fully justified his opinion. The crew were furious when they heard of the surreptitious flight and loaded the fugitives with all the invectives that could lay their tongues to. So enraged were they at the dastardly trick of which they had been made dupes, that if chance should bring the deserters again on board, I should be sorry to answer for the consequence. In accordance with my advice, Mrs. Keir had not been informed of her husband's disappearance. The unhappy lady is wasting away with a fever for which we are powerless to supply a remedy, for the medicine chest was lost when the ship began to sink. 
Nevertheless, I do not think we have anything to regret on that score, feeling as I do that in cases like Mrs. Kears, drugs would be no avail. End of chapter 27